the scripture today is from Matthew 6, starting with verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks to God. Let's pray. Lord, may the meditation of our hearts and the words of all of our lips be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let me uh, let me be uh, open with y'all. I'm I'm not the best, uh, or at least I, and me for many years I have not thought of myself as being very good at prayer. I'm not the best prayer in the world, and for a long time I struggled with that. Now that's that's not the case for everybody. Some people just love to pray, and it comes very naturally to them. Some can do that in a bad way, and Jesus mentions that. He says some people love to stand on the street corner, stand at the, at the synagogue, or in our case, maybe at the, uh, at the church, and just pray out loud, and everybody, and just, just to show off. And sometimes, and that, that's not a good thing, he says. But some, for some people, uh, you know, they go into their, maybe even literally into their closet, and they pray, and just the words come, and they could pray from 5 in the morning until uh, midnight, and it wouldn't be enough. And they just, they're just naturally like that. And if that's you, I'm so happy for you, I can probably not help you today. <laughs> but but, if, but if, if, that's you, if that's you, wonderful. Wonderful. That's just great. But a lot of people aren't like that. For a lot of people, prayer is a struggle. And it could be uh, that you go and you want to pray and you just don't know what to say. And it could be that you... Uh, that that you just, you know, life happens and you forget that day and you don't pray. It could be that you're angry with God and don't want to pray. And sometimes that's the case for some people. But there's good news. There's good news if that's you. And that is, that's been me in, in many cases through, through my life. Uh, and I'll tell you some, some things that I've learned as we, as we get to the end uh, with prayer. But Jesus tells his disciples that they can learn how to pray. That prayer isn't just a matter of being like a super spiritual person and it all flows out of you. 
Prayer is something that you can learn. And in fact, in Luke 11, in, when Jesus tells about uh, the similar prayer there, the disciples come to him and specifically ask him. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. John's disciples taught them how, taught them how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Prayer is something that you can learn, that you can learn. Now, I'm not talking about sort of academic knowledge, right? I'm talking about the knowledge of the heart, knowledge of life. And if you remember, we're in this series called The Disciplines of a Disciple. And uh, what I've said for each of these disciplines so far is that, um, remember, these are things for us to learn how to do. The word disciple, the word discipline itself, comes from the Latin word that means to learn. To be a disciple is to learn. So when we pray, when we learn how to pray, it's not a matter of knowing everything or getting it all right from the very beginning, but it's a matter of beginning to learn what it means to be obedient to God in this way. So maybe you're not perfect at it yet, but that's okay. Because you can begin the process of learning what it means to be God's people in this way. And in this particular case of learning how to pray, of learning how to pray. Now Jesus tells his disciples that the prayer he's going to teach them, what he's going to teach them about prayer, is maybe not what they might have seen in their broader culture, at least among the Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles are anyone who's not Jewish. And, uh, uh, and pagans, we, sometimes we call them pagans. Pagans would pray to anything, you know? Temple to Zeus, go to the temple to Zeus. We'll pray to Zeus. Go into Egypt, let's, we'll pray to Ra and Isis. That's great. If there's a God, we'll pray to it. And the pagan idea in many cases was that, you know, um, there's different gods in different places and try some different ones and we'll see what, we'll see what works. And sometimes you'd go to a temple and there would be certain things that you would say over and over and over and over again. And the idea was that if you prayed enough and you prayed in the right way, then that, that God would be obliged to you to give you what you wanted. And Jesus is saying that, you know, that's what, that's what the pagans do. They go and they think that they can manipulate whatever God, Zeus or Ra or whoever, into giving them what they want. But Jesus says it's not like that. It's not like that with the Jewish God. It's not like that then with, we would say, the Christian God. We're not to pray in that way. And why? Because we worship the one true God. And that God already knows what's on our hearts. And you can't manipulate God, you can't twist God's arm into giving you something. That God is already God. He already knows what you need. And more than that, He longs to take care of you as a father takes care of his children. Amen. And that's where we come to the prayer that Jesus teaches us. So it's a prayer we say all the time. A lot of times we call this the Lord's Prayer. If you uh, grew up in another denomination, you might have known it as the Our Father or the Paternoster. Okay. And this is a prayer that, of course, we pray. I usually end, uh, when I'm able to be here for the pastoral prayer, usually we end the prayer in that way. And no doubt that you have probably memorized this at some point in your life and you know this prayer. So what I want to do is just take it sort of line by line and talk about what Jesus is teaching us with regard to prayer. Now before we start, just one note. Jesus isn't saying that this is the only words that you can use to pray. It's not what he's saying. Of course, of course, we see Jesus praying in other ways and other times. We see the disciples praying in other ways and other times. He's not saying these are the only words you can use. But he's giving a framework and a way to understand what it means to pray. And if you pray like this, not necessarily these specific words, but if you pray in this way, 
with the attitudes that this prayer identifies, then you're praying as Jesus taught. We'll go through it line by line, and we'll start, and we'll have you all repeat after me as we do the prayer. So we'll start uh, with just the first part. Our Fathers. Everyone say, Our Father. Okay. Oh, man. Wow, that's good. Uh, Our Father. Okay. Our Father. Oh, yeah, y'all got it. Uh, When we pray to God as Father, what we're doing is drawing on the way that that, uh, the people of Israel, that, that the Jews knew to pray to God. This isn't something new. Jesus didn't come up with it just that day. Uh, the people of Israel were used to talking about God as their father. And when you talk about your father, you're talking about someone that you have a relationship with. And of course, there are other terms that we might use for God, but to say that God is father is to say that we have a story together. We have a life together. And when Jews prayed to God as father, they were saying that the God who was with them through their whole history, who made the world themselves, and so it was quite, and in some ways the, the father of all humanity, was their God. And that same God who talked with Moses face to face, and then was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, their fathers, was, that God was their father. That God who was with David and the people of Israel through all of their trials and tribulations, that God was always there caring for them and disciplining them perhaps, but being there with them as a father is with his children, or at least a father should be with his children. So to pray to God as father is to pray to a God you have a relationship with. This is different from, okay, let's say I, I were to go meet uh, the Queen of England, okay? And uh, I wouldn't go to meet the Queen and say, Elizabeth, uh, dear old friend, how are you, you know, what's my lady, or whatever. Uh, you would say, uh, I would say, Your Majesty, even though you know I'm an American and I don't recognize her authority, we fought a whole war for that, I would still be nice and use the term that she likes, and I call her Your Majesty. And of course, there are times when we acknowledge God's majesty, and we'll do that in prayer just here in a little bit. Uh, and so that's not a bad thing to do. But in this particular prayer, Jesus begins by acknowledging God as Father, as the one who is right there with us, who is there for us, who loves us, who he's just said, knows what we need before we even ask. That's the kind of God that we're praying to. Then comes the next line. We'll, say, we'll do the traditional version. So our Father, and we say, Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, who which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Sometimes we say which, sometimes, sometimes who. Um, when we pray to God as Father, we're also praying to the God who is in heaven. And to say that God is in heaven is a way of saying that God has authority over everything. We picture God as having his, and this is the biblical language of having uh, his throne, his authority is in heaven. So yes, while we worship a God and pray to a God who is up close and personal like a father, we also pray to the God who is in charge, to the God who is almighty, who is powerful. To say that God is in heaven is to say that. But what we shouldn't think about, what we shouldn't get out of saying our Father in heaven is to think that heaven is a long way away. You know, sort of our cartoon and contemporary culture images might lead us in that way. You think, you know, you go up enough, like there you finally get to heaven. Uh, if you've ever watched Bugs Bunny or anything, you know, you see someone literally float off when they die, and there they are in heaven. And that can lead us now to think about heaven as being 
distant and detached from the world right here, that it's literally you got to go a long way to get there. But that's not how someone in uh, uh, Jesus' time would have thought about heaven. When they think about heaven, they think of God's space that is, in a sense, right around the corner from ours, that overlaps with the world that we know. And you could have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. A key place where that happened was the temple, where God's presence was. And if you were in the temple, you were, in a sense, in heaven. You were right there with God. You could say the same for the mountains on which God met his people. Heaven and earth were overlapping and interlocking. But heaven was God's realm where God was fully in charge. And earth was where we were praying and waiting for heaven to come to us. And what we believe as Christians is that God will bring a new heavens and new earth at the end, at the end of the age. But to talk about the God in heaven isn't to talk about a God who uh, is distant and just sets things in motion and then leaves us alone, the very opposite. To talk about God in heaven is to talk about a God whose authority is here with us, even now. So we say God is in heaven, and then we say, Hallowed be thy name. I asked the kids at Mount Olive this, and none of them knew what hallowed meant. And I'm not surprised by that, and there are probably others of us here who don't know what hallowed means. It's a weird way, it's an old-time way of talking, right? To say, what we're saying, all we're saying when we say that is the word holy. We're saying that God's name is holy, okay? Now, where have we heard that before, that God's name is holy? That's in the Ten Commandments, among other places. But in the Ten Commandments, we learn that we should not what, take the name of the Lord in vain because God's name is holy. To say that something is holy is to say that it's set aside. That's what holy means. That it's set aside, it's special. Okay? You're not going to use it for flippant purposes. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, and you're praying to the God who is over everything, yet is our Father, we're doing this is serious business. And we're not trying to manipulate God like the pagans would do when they try to twist God's arm by praying enough times and maybe even taking that God's name in vain, just saying Zeus, 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 or whatever. It's to... Uh, it's to say that um, we're taking this seriously because we know who we're dealing with. We're dealing with the real one God. So we say, our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. The God who is Father, but yet the God who is right with us and with whom we can deal with on serious business. Then Jesus says this as they continue the prayer. He says, and we'll do the, the way that we're probably used to praying. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's say it together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, Jessica and I, when we were talking about uh, this, this passage, pointed something, Jessica pointed something out to me. And that's what, when we uh, say this, at least as we usually pray it, we kind of divide it up. We'll say, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that can be fine if you want to do it that way to kind of think about each element there. But really, this is just one sentence. It's one sentence. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all of one piece. It's talking about the same stuff. Now, if you remember back to the parable series that I did through most of the summer, what was Jesus talking about in most of his parables? 
or many of his parables at least. The kingdom of God is like something. And pretty much, uh, you know, Jesus pretty much only had one sermon, and that's to say that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then whatever it is he's saying specifically, he's elaborating on that thing to say this is what it means for God's kingdom to come in our midst. So when we pray this prayer, we're praying for God's kingdom to come. So our prayer should reflect what Jesus taught us, that God's kingdom is coming with him, right? And God's kingdom will come fully at the end of the age, right? When, when Jesus returns again. And we pray for God's kingdom to come. And that's important because what we probably know in our own lives and in the world that we look out on is that things aren't right. We ourselves do many, you know, done many things that are wrong. But we look out and we see things like ISIS and the Charlie Hebdo stuff that we've been hearing about in the news lately. And even closer to home, there have been multiple house fires here uh, around, uh, around the Tupelo area, the Tremont area, just over the last several weeks. There was the one in Baldwin. There was a family here in Tremont who lost everything. And when you look at that, you say, well, that's not, that's not what God wants. That's not what God wants for his people. Clearly, there is something, there's in some way where the kingdom isn't fully here. And, you know, when you go to the book of Revelation and you find there the, the, the martyrs who are under the throne, what do they say to God? They say, Lord, how long, how long will it be? And so when we say, Lord, your kingdom come, we're joining their prayer and saying, God, thy kingdom come, bring your kingdom, address all this stuff that we know to be going wrong. And we pray that with trust. We pray that with trust that God will do that and will address all of the things that are wrong in our world. But to pray, thy kingdom come, is to pray that. Is to say, Lord, we know that the world is wrong, but we know that we, you are the one that we can turn to. If they, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means for God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom is present when the earth looks like heaven. And that's the vision in Revelation for what happens when Jesus returns again. He makes a new heaven and a new earth, and we live on that new combined heaven and earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's a prayer for God to come cosmically, right? To come in a big way and make everything right. But it's also a prayer for that to begin in our lives. Because if we believe that God's going to bring his kingdom, then what we can pray is that, that work would begin with us right now. That we would live as citizens of that kingdom right now. That we would live like we really believe that God is in charge and will be in charge. And that we can live in God's kingdom. That his will would be done in our lives. That we would live in accordance to what he has taught us. And it's a prayer for God to help us to do that. Help us to live like citizens of your kingdom. Even when we're in a world where uh, things are going wrong and bad things are happening, and we've even participated in those bad things. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus teaches them to pray this. And how do we say it? Um, give us this day our daily bread. So give us this day our daily bread. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's a prayer to the God who is Father, the God who will bring his kingdom and that we can trust, who knows our needs and will, at least in the last day, supply those needs to give us what we need for today. To help us live this day. 
That we, God, we trust you with the future. But you're going to help us live this day. Now, Jesus isn't saying, like, you know, don't save for your retirement. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that day by day as you pray, trust God. Day by day as you go, the God who's ruler of all, the God who will bring his rule to all, you can trust him on this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need to be sustained as your people right now. Help me put one foot in front of the other today. There's another way that you could translate this, and some of your Bibles might have a note to this effect. Uh, but the Greek word that we translate as daily could also be translated as uh, for tomorrow. So give us today our bread for tomorrow. Give us today our future bread. And it still has that element of just, you know, what we need for right around the immediate future. But our bread for tomorrow is another way of talking about the coming of God's kingdom. That God will feed all his people. And give us, Lord, that little bit, that little bit of your kingdom that we need right now. That we need right now to live as your people. Give us this day our daily bread. What we need right now to be yours. And then Jesus says this, and we usually, we usually say it in this way, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Forgive us our trespasses. You know, that can be a hard thing to do. Um, it can be a hard thing to do. The other uh, way to talk about this, uh, and this is the, the translation I originally read, said, forgive us our debts. Uh, and that's to say that when we've wronged someone, we've, in a sense, put uh, ourselves in their debt. We owe, we owe them something. Or the, the translation, trespasses, um, the idea there is that you've encroached on their territory. You've taken something that belongs to them. You've violated what's theirs. And we've all done that. We've all done that. And so when we pray, God, forgive us our trespasses, we're saying that God, the God who is bringing your kingdom is also a God who brings us forgiveness so that we can be a part of that kingdom. God, forgive us. Forgive us. And help us live as your people. And this is a prayer with confidence that God does bring forgiveness. But then there's this other phrase attached to it. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. That's where it gets a little nerve-wracking, because if you go to the end here, what does Jesus say? If you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when I hear that, I get nervous, because I know, I know that I'm not perfect at forgiving other people. I'm imperfect still in that way. But why is Jesus telling us to pray that? Well, we pray it because we're aspiring to do it. We're beginning to do it. We're learning how to do it. I don't think Jesus is saying, unless you 100% perfectly achieve forgiveness of other people, then sorry, you don't get forgiveness yourself. That doesn't sound very merciful. What he is saying, though, is that the God who's forgiven your sins, if you really, if you really believe that God has forgiven your sins, and that God's bringing his kingdom in your midst, and that God is going to make everything right, at the end, then you can start to live like that by extending that forgiveness to others. And you know what? He's not saying that your emotions aren't real. Because if someone has wronged you, uh, you're not going to feel good about it. 
And you don't, he's not saying just get over it, get over it today. Because life doesn't work that way. I'm pretty sure Jesus knows that. He's not saying just to jettison your emotions, don't, don't worry about it anymore. On the contrary, he's teaching you to pray for that forgiveness. Pray for forgiveness for yourself and for others, even, even when you don't feel like it yet. Okay? You can begin to forgive someone else. And you can begin to forgive yourselves and know your sins for, are forgiven because you're praying. You're aspiring to do it. You're learning how to do it. Remember, this is about discipleship. It's about learning. This is about learning forgiveness for yourself and learning how to forgive others. You're not going to automatically get it right immediately, but you can begin to get it right. And you know, the forgiveness sermon is a sermon for another day, but um, you know, those who've really been wronged, those who've really been wronged in this life, I think will often tell you that um, to forgive others brings new life to yourself. Because when you've been wrong, you have that just thing in your gut and in your heart, it starts to tear you apart too. And until you can begin to forgive, you can't live that full life that God's called you to. And so to pray this prayer is to say, God, help me to start doing that. Help me to start living in the way that you would like to by knowing that I'm forgiven and forgiving others. Help me, God, to learn how to do that. I know that you will because you're the God whose Father, who's with me, who is over all, whose kingdom will come, who gives us what we need, even if just for today. And then the prayer ends in this way. Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's say it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a, a hard thing to understand for a lot of people. You know, we've been doing this Ask the Pastor series. Everyone's invited to it, of course, but it happens to be at, at Mount Olive. Uh, we have other things that are coming for, for this part here soon. Um, one of the things that somebody asked me was, is the Lord's Prayer saying that God tempts us? Because that doesn't seem right. Why would God, you know, try to make us do wrong? The prayer's not saying that God would make us do wrong. Um, another way that you could translate this in the translation that I read is bring us not to the time of trial. Okay? The word temptation and trial are the same word in Greek. Like God, don't let us be bought, brought to the time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. Sometimes in the prayer, as we do it, it's just deliver us from evil, but it's actually from the evil one. It's evil personified. You know, we might say Satan or the devil. Okay? Don't let, deliver us from that evil. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is that, look, there's evil in this world. We're praying for deliverance from that evil. And that there are trials that are just around the corner. Jesus himself will quite literally be put on trial in the gospel. And Jesus himself, when he's put on trial, will pray that that trial would pass. And he prays for the cup to pass from him. And then he says, not my will be done, but yours. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what we're praying is, God, sustain me through these trials that I am going through. And the evil that surrounds me, Lord, deliver me from it. But with it is implied in that the same thing that Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. Because it's a statement that we can trust God. God, we can trust you through this, whether it's a literal trial or a metaphorical trial, that we could trust God through that to be with us and to deliver us from the evil that is around us. This is a prayer 
that you can only pray when you're confident, when you're confident in the God who has uh, brought his kingdom, who promises to bring his kingdom as Father to sustain us day by day by giving us our daily bread and by helping us learn how to live as a people of forgiveness. And when you do that, then, then when the trial comes, then when the trial comes, you know that God is with you. Now I want to give some uh, practical, practical helps. This prayer, like I said, you don't have to pray these exact words. Of course, the words are great to pray specifically. But whenever you pray, this should, let this be in the back of your mind. And perhaps think of it this way. You know, a lot of times when uh, we pray, we, especially when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we know all the words, it's really easy to just kind of spit them all out, and you don't think about them. You don't think about them as you go. And then it becomes just the thing that Jesus said, don't do, with like, don't do like the pagans, or he's just heaped up empty words. When you pray this, and I, I try to do this, I don't achieve it every time, but I try to do it. Slow down with it. Slow down. And ask what it means for God to be Father on this day in your life right now. Ask God what it means for his name to be holy on this day, for him to be in heaven. Ask what it means for the kingdom to come in your life right now. Ask God what it is that your daily bread is, that thing that you need to get through the next day to take that next step with God. Ask him to help you for, to forgive this day. Maybe you haven't achieved perfect forgiveness, but you can forgive this day and start to live into it. And maybe, maybe when you pray that, you can just pause and say, well, what are the trials that I'm going through that I can entrust to God to keep me safe through? So slow down when you pray this. One thing I found helpful to me, like I said, I, I have for a, for a long time, for a long time, I, I don't feel guilty about this anymore. For a long time, I would, well, most days of that. Uh, for a long time, I beat myself up. I said, you know, I don't pray enough. I just don't, I don't pray enough. And I should pray more and, you know, I forgot today and I just sort of beat myself up about it. And that's not helpful because what you want to do, you spend more time beating yourself up and you actually do pray and it's completely counterproductive. Uh, what I found to be helpful for me is to establish a pattern. Okay? I use a particular pattern of prayer called the daily office. It's a traditional Christian prayer that has been going on for centuries and centuries. And the one version I use, it's four times a day. It's morning, noon, evening, and night. And guess what happens? Sometimes I skip one or I forget it or whatever. It just doesn't happen. Even though I have it set on my phone to tell, to tell me to do it. And uh, I found, though, that by having that set pattern, I can more easily forgive myself and realize that God has forgiven me and just start anew. Because there's no bad time to start praying. And so when, if you set up some, maybe, maybe this is just unique to me, but if I'm going to set up some whole big scheme, I'm going to pray like X number of times and then don't do it and just start feeling guilty and the whole thing falls apart. But when I realize that I can just begin anew, it's free. There's a, a French monk named Brother Lawrence. And you know, the Bible says you're supposed to pray without ceasing. And the monks try to do that. Right? Pray constantly, constantly. And Brother Lawrence's job was to peel the potatoes. And so he was peeling the potatoes and supposed to be praying the whole time. And he realized that he was not praying. He was not praying while he was peeling the potatoes. He started to feel guilty. And he just went on this cycle of, of feeling bad because he wasn't praying enough. Until he said, until he said, he realized, until he realized that whenever he stopped praying, 
he should just remind himself that God loved him and has forgiven him and he could start again. Don't dwell in guilt. Don't dwell in guilt when it comes to prayer. It doesn't help. Know that God loves you and has forgiven you and start anew. I gotta do that all the time. Okay? Just start anew. The, the pattern, the daily office that I mentioned, uh, the sheets that we gave out a couple of weeks ago with the Bible study uh, plan on it. And by the way, if, you, if you're doing that, uh, good job. Keep up with it. If you have some other plan, that's great too. If you, uh, you want to start with that, you can, you can still start. It's not too late. On the back of that, and I think we, if we don't still have copies of that around here, I can, I can get y'all some. Um, are two links for different places on the internet where you can get that, that daily office thing that has the kind of the set prayers and a, a helpful guide. At least I found it to be a helpful guide. Um, there are a couple other things on there too that I can point you to. One is the Upper Room. If that's a Methodist publication and it's a devotional that you can read, then there's a Bible verse and then there's sort of a guide for prayer for that day. Do y'all get the Upper Rooms here? Yeah. Uh, they're probably... Yeah, there's some out there. Yeah, there's some out there. They come out, I think, maybe once a month or once a quarter and they've got... You can use that. Just take it home and use that to help you pray. Um... And use it, you can take it with you, it's a little pocket size kind of thing. And uh, maybe that's a good way to start praying. Uh, another thing that I'd recommend is a book called My Utmost for His Highest. And Oswald Chambers is the author there. Really, really good. You can find that at any drugstore, right? You know, how they have the little rack of books, uh, you know, over by the, the drug counter. And there's a, usually a ton of stuff in that rack that is just terrible theology and is bad. But you can probably find a copy of My Utmost for uh, His Highest there. And it's really good. It's really good. Uh, if you um, don't find it there, uh, most bookstores will have it. But there's a version of it online, too. I think it's just utmost.org. So if you're an internet user, uh, that webpage is listed on that sheet if you still have that somewhere. And if not, and you want to use that, let me know. I'll get you a copy. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever particular words you pray when you, when you pray, and maybe you're the super spiritual person who just that comes very naturally to you, whatever you do when you pray, remember what it is that Jesus is teaching when he teaches the Lord's Prayer. We pray to a God who we have a story with, who is our loving Father. We pray to a God who, even though he's our Father, is also Lord over all, and who promises to bring his kingdom when we know that, we can live we can live day by day with our daily bread. We can learn what it means to be forgiven and to practice forgiveness. And that we can learn what it means to have God sustain us through the trials that this life brings. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a people of prayer. Lord, help us to know your forgiveness. And when we feel guilty for not praying enough, uh, to know that um, all we need to do is to begin to pray again. And that, Lord, we pray that uh, um, the prayers we offer to you would spill over into our lives so that we might be instruments of your kingdom, that we might begin to do your will on earth as it is in heaven, uh, to, bring, to bring justice to our neighbors, to honor you with our lives, and to bear your image in this world. Lord, all this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.